welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for joining us today. This is going to be a good one. You're going to love it because uh, you've seen her on the Fox News Network. She is an amazing reporter. Uh, Alex Hogan, she's been out there really, I mean, wearing that... That hard hat helmet in in war zones. She's been reporting all over the place, does an amazing job, as smooth as silk in terms of her reporting in depth and just impressing everybody here. Um, I've never talked to her other than on air. I've never had a discussion with her, but I look forward to having a discussion with her. She's part of the future at Fox News. I think she's one of the rising stars of Fox News and uh, just thrilled to be able to chat with her. So that, that'll be good. And we're going to learn about her and how she ended up in a war zone um, reporting uh, to the world on what's going on. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. But I want to talk a little bit about a couple things in the news and then the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I've got a good one that I read about today that I want to share with you. But let's start first with uh, a little bit about what's going on in the news, um, because immigration just does not stop. Now, uh, in the last few days, we've heard a lot of reporting from Griff Jenkins, Bill Malusian down there on the border. Uh, now, over in California, there seems to be a big opening that uh, a lot of these uh, illegal immigrants are taking advantage of. Uh, mass amounts of Chinese. By the way, they're coming in by the tens of thousands. It used to be hundreds. Now it's tens of thousands. Um, in some reports, hundreds uh, per day. Uh, these are Chinese nationals making their way. We don't know who these people are. There's also uh, Syrians coming across the border who are highly suspicious, uh, Syria being a state sponsor of terror, um, and saying in one interview, hey, we just want to come get a job and make life better. That does not qualify for asylum, folks. That's not how you achieve it. And it may be the true answer, but that's not how you get from here to there. But people from all over the world, um, people coming in from Afghanistan and others, it really begs the question, how did they make that journey to get to Hakumba, uh, California, to there cro- then cross the border I want to relate a quick story. One time I went down with the Border Patrol, and this was in Arizona, and there was a report that there were some Romanians that had come across the border. Now, uh, we got in the car with the Border Patrol, and I thought we were going to go like lights and sirens to try to go find these people that were there in the desert and chase them down or something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not what happened at all. Um we kind of sauntered over and took our time, um, and I asked them, I said, why aren't we, like, hustling over there? And they said, well, um, they want to get caught. Um, and it really was a mystery to me. What do you mean, want to get caught? Oh, they don't need to run. Um, if they can get caught, then what they do is they get processed, but then they're here legally. And then they can have some paperwork, and they can get a job and get benefits and go to where they want to go. And... I, I was really shocked and taken aback by this. And uh, this is back in the Obama administration. So this has been going on for some time. They know how to game it. They know what to do with it. And the prevalence of this is just untenable. And nothing has changed. And I saw Secretary Mayorkas go out in an interview um, about a week ago, and he said he's going to continue to press on and do his job. Well, that's sort of the definition of insanity, isn't it? You just keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. That would be the definition of insanity if they admit that it's not working. But remember, the administration for three years said it was working, that the border was secure, that there was there was nothing to worry about, that they had operational control. But no, they really didn't ever. But now they say it's a crisis that Congress may attack and, and until Congress appropriates more money, until Congress does this, that, and the other. But let's also remember, for two years, um, two years, <laughs> there was nothing that the Democrats did. And they had the House, the Senate, and the presidency for two years, and they did nothing. So this is the, uh, this is the ongoing concern. Uh, the other thing is that Hillary Clinton is running around the world telling people um, that, hey, guess what, uh, 
President Trump, if he's elected, he's going to get us out of NATO. Nobody's ever. No, that's the scare tactics that are coming from the Democrats about how the world would be scorched earth, that, that Donald Trump would do this, that and the other. That's these things are just not true. And they want to scare people. They want to vilify anybody who's wearing a MAGA hat or wearing the American flag, flagging, you know, waving the American flag to try to scare people. Um, when you don't have issues, when you don't have policies, when you can't run on your record, then what you do is you go after your opponent and just try to vilify him to every extent possible. That's that's the the, the deep concern is, uh, and you got to watch out for it because it's going to happen and happen again and again. All right, time for the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And this one actually surprised me. I'm going to the Australian Olympic Equestrian. Oh my gosh, I never thought that they would be controversial. But evidently this Shane Rose, who has medaled three times in the games, um, he's obviously very talented at riding a horse, evidently. Um, But he found himself in some hot water over his attire. Now, I haven't seen it. I'm reading this on foxnews.com, but um, it was widely reported in the Telegraph, which is a pretty big newspaper involved and engaged in this stuff. And uh, the allegation is that he wore a mankini, a gorilla costume, and a Simpson-inspired outfit during a show jumping meet near Sydney. Um, And a video evidently is out there. He was wearing an outfit inspired by Borat. You ever see Borat? That's a pretty funny movie. Pretty rude movie, but a Borat-inspired outfit, which raised some eyebrows. And if that's the controversy that we've got coming out of Down Under, it sounds pretty stupid to me. So, that's the stupid. All right, let's bring in Alex Hogan. Alex is, uh, I'm really excited. So let's uh, dial her up. She's overseas. So let's connect with Alex. Hi, Jason. Hey, Alex Hogan. I am so glad to talk to you. I, I, I know you're overseas and it sounds like you're, you know, way off on the moon or something. But um, thanks for joining us on this uh, Jason and the House podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. No, look, we have been seeing you from afar, reporting in some of the most dangerous and volatile places on the planet, and you, you, you're you good. You're really good. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. There's a, a whole team of people working with us that are always behind the scenes on all of those stories, and it's just it's amazing to be with the company that provides us the resources to go around the world and cover these big stories and to have great people to do it with. No, but you do it with smoothness. It's amazing because sometimes they'll say, all right, we need you for two minutes or, hey, you got a minute and a half. And then the ease in which you just launch into what you're seeing, hearing um, on the ground. And you're right. I mean, you got producer, you got a cameraman, you got all the technical side of the equation, you got the safety and security part of the equation you have to deal with. So, but, uh, you're quite smooth. I don't know where that comes from, but it's it's smooth as silk and well done. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's um, yeah, I'm I'm very passionate about what we do, being able to tell these stories, going to places, and talking to people, and getting to highlight what they're living through, the hardships, the joys, and everything in between. And and I'm very grateful to be doing this job. Well, let's go back here. I'm going to start with I was born in and kind of walk through. And um, because what we try to do is just better understand, like, how you became you. Where where did this all come from? Because I think a lot of people want to do what you do, but maybe just they haven't had the experience and the the life and growing up. and, And so start with, hey, I was born in. And let's just kind of walk through how you got to this point where here we are in this podcast talking to each other <laughs> well how much time do we have because oh we got like three hours it's like three hours yeah so don't worry about it that's a loaded question for me because yeah i moved a lot growing up so i was born in Mosh, switzerland and then wow my, because of my father's job in the medical field we moved 
quite a bit throughout my childhood. And I think that translated into me figuring out at an early age that I really enjoyed talking and meeting new people, partially because of the fact that I, I needed to. I was constantly the new kid. So we lived in Switzerland for the majority of my childhood, uh, briefly in Israel, but also in a handful of states across the U.S., uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, uh, Utah, which I know you have a big You were in Utah. Uh, what were you, where in Utah were you? Florida. <laughs> I, um, so my parents actually retired out there. And what a beautiful part of the world. I'm so biased now. So whenever someone asks me, where are you from in the U.S., Utah is always my considered home state because it's where I, honestly, it's my favorite state. I think it's just the most beautiful place in the U.S. with a very, very different landscape depending on where you are. Uh, okay. So I love it. We're not supposed heart, to. T- that's one of my homes. We're, we're not supposed to tell everybody how great it is out there. We're glad to have oh, you. We right, will claim right. you Everyone as well. cover your ears. We are going to claim you as one of our own. I'm, we're honored that you got Utah as your home state, but try not to brag about it too much because we don't need so yeah, many people no, it's, moving It's there. actually not pretty. It's a not yeah. very pretty place. There's not many national parks. No, we only have five. I mean, we only got five. <laughs> and, and so, No, it's a, it's a great place. It is a great place. It's a great place to raise a family, retire, all of the above. Mm-hmm. It's just like... From the mountains to the deserts to warm weather to the ski areas, it's just, it's kind of got everything. So, yeah, it's the cat's out of the bag on that one. But, um, okay, so now, did you have brothers, sisters growing up? I mean, yeah, two, two brothers. I'm the middle child, and everybody is Park City or Salt Lake City, and I'm the one. One who's across the across the globe, but the one thing that I think is at least a comfort for my family, which is really nice, is that they get to turn on the TV and and see me even if I'm somewhere else. So even though I do I do feel bad that I don't get to be there for the family dinners that I see through selfies that they send me, um, I know that they can turn on the TV and see me there in the living room. It's not the same. But it, it is a little bit of a comfort when but doesn't when I feel homesick or or I see them all together. But doesn't it like your mom, dad, brothers like watching this and you're wearing a hard helmet and there's like <laughs> gunfire in the background? You don't think that doesn't there? Don't they worry that oh our poor Alex is out there? Yeah, I know they do. They do. But I have wanted to do this since I was 12 years old. And what happened when you were 12? Me doing this now. <laughs> well, I, I moved so much, and, and I'm very grateful in that I was in a family where we were fortunate enough for my family to take us around and travel and, and being in other places and, and seeing just how differently other kids around the world were living. That inspired me a little once I was 12 and really figured out that can be a job. I can. I can travel and tell people stories and talk to people and meet new people and and share these very different ways of living that people are living around the world. I was so amazed and inspired that that was a possibility for a career. Most of my my family is in medical field and and it was fascinating having conversations growing up around the din- dinner table about new medical technology, you know, changes and advancements that we're making, but to be able to talk to people, learn about their ways of life, and then share those conversations, that was fascinating to me to be able to do that. So I decided I was 12, this is what I was going to do, and I've really never looked back. Okay, so come on, most people at 12 years old are not thinking about their career decisions, and what shows were you watching thinking, all right, that's what I want to do? Like... (laughs) Was it 60 Minutes? Well, was that's it... fair. No, well, it, was, it was a combination. My, my family grew up watching a, a bunch of, of different channels, honestly, based on where we lived. Depending if we were right, overseas, right. there was really only international channels. So it was, it was kind of a combination. And then in school, I, I went to a, a French and German-speaking school growing up. And the types of news that you're digesting there, it's, it's very different. So I had this this combination and mixture of different types of media 
And, and now it's interesting being back overseas again and, and seeing how all of these different stories that we are covering are being covered in, in slightly different ways through slightly different angles. And I think that's one of the important parts of journalism. And I think a lot of our, our viewers do this as well, but the importance of, of getting your information and really looking into it and trying to, to put yourself in, in other people's shoes of how, how the story is coming across. So, so that was a long-winded way to get back to your question, but where, what did we watch? We watched a little bit of everything, read a lot of different things. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's really fun to be able to do this and bring those stories, be the one bringing those stories back home for our viewers back in the U.S. Oh, there's no doubt that you enjoy it. I mean, that's part of what makes it uh, such good television and such good reporting is that you're passionately support, like you really want to understand and then have others. And that's the hard thing to do, right, is to synthesize all this down into 90 seconds and in in such a complex story. But I want to keep going back to 12-year-old little Alex. Okay, so you're like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. But you know, a lot of people want to do it, but they don't necessarily have the verbal skills. You know, they don't necessarily have the talent to string sentences together and make it a coherent, uh, you know, I struggle with this, right? A coherent message. Where did that come from? I mean, did you like, were you an extrovert? Were you like an introvert? Yeah, I'm an extrovert. And that makes it easier just walking up to someone. I think, I think part of it, whether it was because I was forced to always being the new kid and always right. having to go up to people. Um, or if I naturally would have been that way, nature versus nurture, I'm not quite sure. But I think at a young age, it was easy for me to walk up to people, introduce myself. And then that made it really easy for down the line with the journalism. Man on the street is something that <laughs> if you're in, in journalism, you know what it is. You're walking up to a stranger on the street and asking them their opinion about something with a microphone and a camera in their right, face. Right. Uh, that kind of thing can be very embarrassing, but it's just, you know, I've had a lot of practice as a little kid walking up to people and introducing myself. And once I decided that I wanted to be a journalist, I basically threw myself in with anything I could do to get my foot in the door. So I started writing for a local newspaper about the perspective of, of different topics from a child's perspective. How, how old were you? <laughs> I think I was, I was maybe 14 at that time. So, And so you went to the newspaper and you said, hey, I got a perspective here and your readers are going to love it. I honestly, I, I'm trying to remember how I, how I initially started that, but that was the gist of it. Yes. And then I went to <laughs> local TV stations and asked, can I just come and shadow your anchors and figure out what they do and figure out how I can do that. And really? then I joined everything from the debate team to joining high school plays. And there was a morning show. And I think that's really what finally clicked. There was a live TV morning show in my high school where we would broadcast a newscast into every classroom around the school about local school news. But it was my first experience learning to edit, learning how to write for TV, different skill sets that eventually in in university and and later jobs, you know, you really get a fine tune. But I was already having those opportunities to to practice a skill set. And I think that's really important for kids if they can find something to hone in on and practice those skills and just give themselves a little bit more time it does make a difference in the long end so you're going out you're doing that in in high school was that grade school or was that also high school mainly yeah mainly high school i was doing a lot of journalism and then by the time that i graduated i was well, I was only looking at schools that had great journalism programs. I ended up going to Penn State and had so many opportunities because they have an amazing J school. And I got my first job as a reporter before I even graduated. I was working at the local TV station, uh, WTHA, as an MMJ. So that is a reporter who shoots, edits, and is on camera all in one. So I had that before I even graduated from university my senior year. And then when I did graduate, I already had one local channel on my resume and it was easier to jump off into the other markets 
from there. Okay, so if we were to talk to your parents and say, all right, tell us about young Alex, they would say, oh my gosh, since she was a little girl, she like totally understood <laughs> that this is her career trajectory. I mean... Yeah, I, I think I was probably a little obsessive. Were they like, I, let's just tone it down here? Uh, or were they like, <laughs> um, just all in? Hey, how can we help you? Did you practice? No, they never, we were like practicing like once. in the mirror and doing, I mean, I talked, I talked to Trey Yinks and it, it was fascinating. That's what he talked about. He said, oh, I'd video. So I do it in the mirror. I would video, then I'd critique it. Then I'd do it again. And he just kept doing that time after time after time. And there seems to be a pattern here yeah, of how I, you do this. <laughs> I had even asked my parents, this is, it's a funny, cute story now. I remember being younger and thinking this is embarrassing. But when I was in fifth grade, I asked my parents for a, a teleprompter <laughs> as a Christmas gift. Who does that? And, <laughs> and fifth grade, thankfully said no. Yeah, they, they, they said no, just, you know, write <laughs> articles and then practice reading them. And But they know they never once tried to curb me from doing this. They were... So supportive, and they to this day, my mom and dad are just the most amazing parents, and they have been championing me from afar. And even though I know when I go into places like Gaza last month, how difficult that must be as parents to see that. But yeah. no, they are they are so supportive and and constantly checking in with how I'm doing, and it's just nothing but love, support, and pushing me to continue continually challenge myself. And I think um, I could have been born into any family, but to have parents like that who have been so supportive since day one, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to them. Well, obviously they, they, they created the atmosphere where you were able to chase your dreams and thrive and obviously have a huge success. So, all right. So you're a Nittany lion. You're there at Penn state. You get your first gig even before you're done. Um, but how did you make the transition? Like where, where do you go from there? Yeah. So after I graduated, I went to Reading, Pennsylvania and was doing local news there. So there's, there's two different ways that people typically go. You either start at networks and you might try to work your way up from being a PA to a producer or along those lines, depending on, on what track you're looking to get into. I opted with the, the local route. So I started in Reading, Pennsylvania, then moved after about a year, moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania, another local, same local station, the sister company, and or bureau, I should say. And there I was a morning reporter and fill-in anchor, and it was just such a fun experience. It was something completely different. And then after almost three years there, I jumped up to Fox and... I had interviewed with them to be a foreign correspondent. And when I did get the job, then I was in New York just for a couple months to figure out the, the lay of the land, get to know the company. And that was in March of 2020 when I was supposed to move to London to be a foreign correspondent, of course. That's like great right when COVID was hitting. Other yeah, exactly. The universe had other plans. So I actually ended up staying in New York for about a, a year and nine months Oh, and gosh. worked in, in New York covering national news. And then once there was a, a reopening of, of bureaus here in terms of, of applying for visas and that sort of thing, I was able to to move over. And, and I've been here for uh, about two and a half years. OK, so let's let's go back here for a second. You're not that far out of college and you're saying hey i can go from reading pennsylvania to you know london israel or wherever the world may take you <laughs> why how do you think you got that job because there you weren't the only applicant for that job no of course and they had a, a full just like i had interviewed at other networks as well but fox again had full you know full interviews questions and everything from politics to ethics to world perspective. And it was a really, really fun round of interviews, very early and challenging conversations. And the question eventually led to, would you be interested in 
in taking a job in London to be an international correspondent. And it is, it's just a dream to be able to be here wow. doing okay, a job no, that I had hoped to one day do. Okay. But, okay. Alex. Unfortunately, they didn't give me the ethics test when I uh, interviewed for this job. And coming out of Congress, that probably should have been the heart of what we were talking about. But, <laughs> but okay, so they okay they ask you a lot of questions. They obviously made a great and fantastic decision. But why do you personally believe? And and take off a humble hat here. And uh, there's a lot of people that supported you, and a lot of people who made it possible. But what do you think is the difference? Like, what were they surprised about or impressed by? What did you do? Because you're you're pretty young in terms of experience, um, even though you started at age twelve. What do you think made the difference? Where they said, "Yeah, that's that's our person. That's who we want." I think there's probably several things that jumped out to them. One, having lived in so many places speaking right, right. other languages, having connections, different places. Huge passion of mine is is traveling and, and going to all these other places. And that came up a lot in these interviews because I'd done a lot of solo traveling. I think the year before I had just gone to India. And, and having some of those conversations with in these interviews, we talked a lot about, you know, the desire to be in other places, being uncomfortable and being comfortable with being uncomfortable, right. being in positions where you weren't staying in, in great places. Maybe I'm, you know, renting a car and going for a, a hike somewhere, but sleeping in the back of the of the car so that I can wake up early and see the sunrise in some amazing place and, and having one, the, the desire to do those things, um, spending my free time trying to educate myself by going to other places trying to constantly learn about other places. And that in and of itself is, is part of the job, this constant curiosity, wanting to go other places, wanting to be other places and, and learn and share those stories. So we did talk a lot about these, these personal moments and where I was spending my free time, what, was I, what I was doing in my free time. And then on top of that, I worked really hard. I really wanted it. I was very hungry and I wanted to be working for a company at that time. And I'm very grateful that I'm here, but I remember having those conversations at the time. I want to be working for a company where other people are hungry, where other people want to be having those conversations about what are we not talking about? What are we talking about? What can we learn? What can we, what can we share? And, and I, in university, I, I did this story on human trafficking and later that won an Emmy, which was a huge opportunity because I think that showed them that the desire that I had, even in college classes to try to pursue those stories that were, were big and meaningful and powerful. Um, so to be able to, to show them even at that age that I was, trying to find and chase those stories with the limited resources that you inevitably have in those those stages. I think that those were some of the things that stood out to them at that time. Well, I can tell why you were thriving in these uh, these interviews. By the way, tell me about India. You went there oh, by you. yourself? You just, just said, hey, mom, dad, no. I'm going to be right back. I got to go to Mumbai. Well, it's it's funny. They actually were going to be in India, and I decided, well, I'll go, I'll meet up with you later. But then this is just another great chance for me to, to do a solo trip. And I had done solo trips before, solo hiking trips, um, road trips, just chances for me to, uh, I'm an extrovert, but I also like my alone time. So I think I get that in solo trips, just getting to do exactly what I want to do, not necessarily needing to sleep a lot. I can just pack some granola bars and, and go do all of the things on my list of what I want to see on that trip. Uh, so India was absolutely incredible. That had always been on my bucket list of, of going there and seeing the Taj Mahal and, and going to some of the spice markets and just being in a completely different situation from, yeah. from what is normal day to day at the time I was in Utah. So, so very different day to day, but it was just a beautiful experience. It was great. Yeah. That's a little different than uh, park city and uh, Heber and some of those other <laughs> places. Yeah. That's a little different. So uh, well, good it for is. you. What other solo trips did you go do? Where else have you been in the world? I remember I went to 
I had never seen Niagara Falls, and that was a really fun one that I did by myself. It was funny because the fireworks go off and everyone is there. It's a very romantic spot. A lot of people have got to like watching the fireworks, and I'm there, you know, walking by myself. But uh, but it was just a, another fun weekend getaway. That was when I was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and just a, a good reminder for myself that I can take the time to do these. And now I have a, a fiance that has moved to London to be here with me on this um, next chapter, but we still both, he had actually done a solo trip to India as well. Uh, and now I find when I'm doing these, these long trips where I'm gone for maybe a, a month, six weeks at a time, I still get to, to have that a little bit. Of course I'm with my team, but you're, Right. You're away from loved ones. You're away from family for such long stretches of time. I still get to to fill that um, that desire to to go have those individual trips and those individual experiences that are just really great moments for yourself. And sometimes you're lost somewhere with people who don't speak the same language as you. And I, I love that feeling. I think that makes some people uncomfortable, but I really like the feeling of getting lost in another place. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Alex Hogan right after this. That's that's fascinating. Hey, congratulations on being engaged. That's that's exciting. Oh, thank you. And that's it's too bad that you both took solo trips to India but didn't <laughs> didn't meet there in India. Uh, it, uh, yeah, that would have been a, a very neat cute. Well, that that is tough cute. to be away, and you know you have somebody that you're. Uh, in love with and you know be away is you know yeah there's zoom yeah there's there but it's facetime there's there's still not it's just different than actually being together but uh congratulations that that's exciting for you and um congratulations oh thank uh, you very much yeah no he's uh he's very supportive and i think it's it's as you know as well these jobs we can get sent anywhere but it's i think it's important to have a partner who's completely supportive and confident and just, you know, goes with it and is cheering you on from afar too. It's, um, it's great to have that. Yeah. I mean, he's going in eyes wide open, knows what he's doing. Sounds like he's also Mm -hmm. going out doing some solo trips along in, in his life too. So that that's good. There's, (laughs) it's going to be, that's going to make you all compatible. It'll be interesting if you go to a city together, if you all say, all right, I'll meet you back for dinner where I'm going my own direction. (laughs) We've not done that. We know we enjoy traveling together and we'll happily um, we'll stay together on the trip. <laughs> good, good. All right. Uh, okay. So tell us though about the life itself because it's quiet, quiet, quiet. And then all of a sudden it's not right. It's quiet until it's not. And um, mm-hmm. h- how does that, how does that work? I mean, it sounds like you're the perfect personality to just kind of roll with the punches and dive right in. But you know, and it's nice to have the Fox News support and all of that and the, the brand name that's known around the world. But how does it work? Like, what, what would most people be surprised about in terms of your ability to execute, go get the story and then get back in front of the camera to explain what's going on? Yeah, I think one element of, of what we're doing in, in these foreign bureau bases. So we have a kit room with all of our, our camera gear and whatnot, but we also have go bags. So that's exactly what it sounds like. It's a bag that is prepared with uh, several changes of clothes, um, you know, whatever we might need if we are at work and something happens overseas and we need to go straight from the office to an airport. Right. So that will be enough to last us for several days. Some of us pack granola bars, things <laughs> like that, that we can just have on the go ready to go. And then when we do deploy, sometimes it, it could be I've, I've gone somewhere for a week and I've gone as long as seven weeks straight. So when you do get on the ground, the, the challenge is always figuring out, you know, what are the language barriers here? Do we need to hire someone, a fixer, or they're also known as local field producers. And from there, they can help us navigate not only geographically the best areas to go and how to navigate the story and where the best place is, but also potentially helping with the language barrier, any cultural issue issues, and, and just kind of helping us navigate that way. And as you know, and anyone else in TV knows within the, you know, as soon as you are boots on the ground, you'll try to come up with the latest of whatever situation is evolving and then just continually 
be live with more and more stories as the details start to emerge. So looking back at these two years, two and a half years since I've been here, there are these lulls in between stories where, as you mentioned, we will be almost on standby. We'll be covering international news from the London Bureau, but we are also always prepared that we could be sent anywhere. But looking back uh, in these two years, it's it's just been back-to-back stories internationally. Um, from when I moved here to a couple months later, the war in Ukraine broke out, and we spent months covering that. Then the one of the trips I was actually at the airport flying back to London and the queen died. So then Mm, within uh, about four hours of landing in London, I was covering the queen's announcement, which then turned into her funeral. And then we had the king's coronation and then the war in Israel broke out uh, or Israel's war in, in Gaza, I should say, broke out last year so there have been these these major stories and it's it's amazing to think that all of that has happened just within the last two and a half years yeah no it's amazing how volatile and how quick and how big these stories are and you're right they're not uh, simple quick conclusions um the seven weeks when you went out was that was that in ukraine that was that was I think, well, there's been a couple of trips where I think when the war first broke out, I was there for maybe six weeks. And then sometime along the summer, I think I had been there from July till September. And yeah, they're, they're long stretches of time. But I will say the the beauty as a journalist, when, when you're covering these stories for such a long extended period of time, you're really not only developing relationships, but you're able to plan far out. Okay, we have this politician who is going to visit the Capitol in two weeks. We can line that up with other. This international agency will be here. and You really get to dive in much deeper than you ever would be able to if you were only on the ground for a week or two weeks at a right, time. Right, right. What's the biggest lesson you kind of learned in the two years of being overseas and on the ground wearing a hard hat and, you know, being in dangerous, volatile situations? Oh, that's a... That's a difficult question. The, I think the the ability to try to work through what you're what you're covering is a really challenging one. Um, I think that's been a, a difficult part because in the moment you just don't have any time. You're live shot to live shot. You're working constantly every single day until you come home. So finding ways, and I have this conversation with other journalists, just kind of finding finding different ways to to process what you're experiencing because you don't the the worst possible case scenario is you're covering one of these stories, and if you're not feeling it, you're not giving you're not doing justice to that story. So you you want to fully be feeling everything that you're covering, but you also want to find a way to to process it before you come home. So taking some time. Uh, for me, I, I personally, I'll try to work out, even if that's just, you know, holding my my body armor and and doing squats and lunges with it and push-ups and that sort of thing. But getting out of my head a little bit, right. that personally helps me a lot. I know other people, I can journal, that helps a little bit. People have different ways of, of coping and processing. And I've found, I found, for example, I love hiking. And that has been something that's helped me in training for I, I trained for a hike that I did, and that was a really great way on one of my really extended trips to to get out of my head for a little bit and and focus on something else that was for myself and be able to step away from the story a little bit emotionally in those moments. Yeah, I think that's got to be one of the most difficult things. I actually had this conversation this morning with Dana Perino. I said, I don't how mm. she keeps... And you too. I, I mean this to the both both of you, but I had the conversation with her and it was like, how do you keep your composure when you're talking about life and death and destruction and people's lives are shattered and some of it's downright, I mean, in your case, gruesome, like I, how you maintain your composure because you're a human and you have a heart and it's hard to just focus on the reporting. And, and, you know, when I had the conversation with Dana, she had done this interview last week and, and uh, my wife watched it and it's just like, wow, she was so good and so compassionate and had that Mm -hmm. right balance. I, 
it's hard to get through some of that. It has to be, right? It is. And one thing that I've found that I've done over the years, whether it's I, I used to cover a lot of homicides when I was in local news and speaking to the the family members the next day of yeah. the fact that their child had just been murdered or house fires and now covering wars where someone's home has just been destroyed. I find myself repeating the same thing in my head, and that is just do them justice. So right before I go on air, trying to remind myself of it might be difficult talking about it, but it is so much more important to me personally of trying to get their story across and and do them justice in, in that story, even if I only have 90 seconds, trying to do something that if they were still alive to see it, that they would be proud of how that turned out and actual informative and emotional enough that there is a connection for someone across the world watching in their living room that they could have a connection to someone that they will never meet because that person has passed. So I, I find myself repeating that over the years, just do them justice. And that, that helps me get through that. No, that's, that's uh sage advice. That's, that's, that's really good. I remember a long time ago, there was an outnumbered program and uh, I was on outnumbered and, and there had been a hurricane and Griff Jenkins was out talking to a woman who essentially lost everything, like literally her home or just everything, mm-hmm. all her valuables. And they were kind of going around the couch and it was my turn to ask a question. And I, I kind of got a little choked up so much so that Kennedy, who was on the couch with me, had to kind of take over. And she saw I was getting a little too emotional about it. But I was just like... This was so real, so raw, and I felt so bad for this woman. I do had never met her, you know, and I, but all of a sudden I'm there and, there and I'm talking to her and I just couldn't help it. I just I just got emotional about it. And so you're you're better at that than I am because you're right. You want to do oh, somebody thank justice. You, but I don't think I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that that's the point at the end of the day, right? Is is building these these bridges, these connections. So I think it's yeah, you got to still speak okay. from your heart. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, look, I'm a huge fan, big admirer of what you do and how you do it. And um, you get the brightest of futures, certainly at Fox and in television in general. But um, I do, Alex, well, have thank a f- you very much. I, I do have a few questions I need to ask you. And I don't care how many bombs have gone off around you. You're not prepared for these questions. So I hope. <laughs> okay. Hit right, me. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. Uh, first concert you attended? Um, Black Eyed Peas. Great. Black, it was a lot of fun. Black Eyed Peas. That's good. <laughs> uh, what was what was your first job? I think you covered it because we know how focused you were since like before birth. So uh, a first job <laughs> no, where you got actually, a check from somebody else. My my first with a check. Okay. So I, was, I did babysitting, but no checks. I worked at the mall. I had so many jobs in high school. I I worked at the mall. I was a, a server all throughout college. I was a waitress. And I also, in, in college, I worked in the University of Communications administration office to help book interviews and, and <laughs> guidance counselor sessions with, with students. So anyway, a lot of sidebar jobs. But my first was, was at the mall. Oh, there we go. Uh, mine was at the mall too, the General Cinema Corporation, ripping <laughs> tickets, popping popcorn, and cleaning up that theater. Actually, was working for a gardener, and uh, I quickly okay. realized in Arizona, I quickly in the summer, and I quickly realized that you know what, I was a white collar guy. I needed something indoors, uh, picking cactus That's and a weeding. Job and oh I- my god. And I, I remember I got all excited because it, the ad said it would be done by noon. And I thought, cool. So I said, the guy was going to come pick me up. And I said, I said, okay, well, what time? And he said, I'll pick you up at four. And I thought, four? Four in the morning? I go to bed at one. This is going to be hard for me to get through this. But yeah, that was my... Anyway. But don't you think that now it's easier to wake up at four in the morning because you did that? No, <laughs> it's still no. hard. It's still hard because <laughs> I, I still go to bed at because, one or two in the morning. Yes. Okay. Well, that's fair. I, because I did local news and I started every morning at 
3.30 when I was in on the morning show. I That's find hard. that now it's not as difficult to wake up that early, especially if I have an early flight, you just you sleep later. So it doesn't bother me as much anymore. But if you're going to bed at 1 a.m., that makes sense. I, I have mastered the falling asleep on airplanes. I'm like really good at it. Like I can't help but fall asleep on every plane right now. But yeah, I take a 6 a.m. flight. That means I got to wake up about 3.45 in Utah to get on the 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. flight. And um, But that's, I can do that. But I, how they do Fox and Friends day after day, I, that is that is a hard, anyway. Uh, what was your um, high school? I don't know where you ultimately graduated high school, but what was your high school mascot? So yeah, I graduated high school in South Florida and it was the Patriot. That's patriotic to say. Yes. Yes. Uh, what's the Alex Hogan superpower? Okay, you can do a lot of things, but there's certain things people. I I believe everybody has a superpower. Like, I can do this better than just about anybody else. What's that for you? Hmm. Um. I I pride myself on how I can connect with people. Well. Yeah. Um, I think I care, I care a lot and I, I, I really try to, to see how people are, whether it's at a dinner party, for example, and making sure that everyone feels seen and heard. Um, yeah, those types of human connections and just, no, I think that radiates yeah, trying comes, to see people. Yeah. It comes across on air. I don't think you can thrive in that type of position where you're right. You have to constantly interact with people and gain their trust quickly to, get the information that you need. I, I, I totally buy that. Um, all right. So if you and your fiance, uh, were together and you said, uh, Hey, guess what? Good news. Uh, I got somebody coming over for dinner tonight. If you could pick anybody in history, set aside the religious figures for a second, anybody in history to come break bread with you dead or alive to come sit down with you and your fiance and have dinner, who would that be for you? Oh, I've thought of this question before, but I feel like every time I think about it, it changes. So maybe because of where I am right now with work, I would say Martha Gellhorn. She, um, she's an American journalist, lived in London, and she uh, was one of the, the first pioneering female war correspondents. Man, you are so focused right on now, your career, aren't you? Her. That is that is impressive. <laughs> More so just a fascinating person. I mean, she, she, this was at a time where women were not journalists, let alone war correspondents. She basically stowed herself away on a hospital ship so that she could be there on the beaches on D-Day and wow. went in with ambulance teams. So uh, incredible woman. That would be a really fun dinner conversation to talk to her about that. Yeah. That it would that would be you know it's interesting because I asked this question of everybody I've done like close to two hundred podcasts now everybody's giving me a different answer every time it's it's fascinating well, to hear good. yeah it's really interesting so uh, big one for me Alex <clears throat> I've been highly impressed this whole time I mean, we're getting near the end I promise uh, but this <laughs> is a really important one so don't get this one wrong okay pineapple on pizza yes or no. Oh. I'm going to say yes. Oh, Alex. Judges really don't like <laughs> that. That's the wrong answer. That was really bad. <laughs> You're going to have to look yourself in the mirror afterwards and really reconsider your life on that one. Well, it's not my favorite, but I, I'd still eat it. Yeah, I think that I think that would be good. Uh, wet fruit. No, I, I understand tomatoes. <laughs> I understand a lot of things. But it shouldn't be wet. It should be grilled, right? You want the pineapple to be almost crispy because it's almost charred. Yeah. Grilled pineapple. Great. You're not going to talk me into this. That is the wrong answer. And everybody knows it's the wrong answer, but you can't be perfect. (laughs) You were perfect, but you know, there's only that. Yeah. Uh, That's okay. I'll take one for the pineapple. (laughs) All right. Last question. Uh, Best advice you ever got. Uh, I, so I love, I love advice. I love quotes. I always, I actually have a book of quotes that I keep that I've written just over the years of, of, interesting things that people have told me and noteworthy things to think on. Mm. Um, But one that I really like the most, I love the saying, um, 
believe the universe is conspiring in your favor and just the idea of of always being a yes person and just trying things and, and just hoping that it's going to turn out that comes from I believe the actual quote was an Emerson quote and it's a little different than that but I love I love the idea of just just trusting work working your hardest but then trusting that things are going to happen if you're kind and you're good and you, you care then just believing the universe is conspiring in your favor and that's all you can do yeah that's that's great advice because you're right you you know the you won't find out unless you try and you're going to fail along the way but there's also probably a reason that that happened and that eternal optimism just bodes well in life period uh so i i more more power to you look highly impressed really great work and uh keep it up stay safe everybody wants you to stay safe hmm. but boy we we enjoy your reporting i will and, i will uh enjoy your reporting and thanks for taking all the time that you did today to join us on this uh jason and house podcast truly appreciate it thank you jason this was fun good to talk to you as always Alex Hogan, she, amazing. She is such a talent, and she's going to be a big part of the future. She's a rising star at Fox. I really appreciate her taking the time to do this. And uh, glad we connect and uh, just uh, excited for her in the future and what she's doing. And uh, uh, I hope you have a chance to rate this podcast. I really appreciate it. Subscribe to it so you make sure you get one every week. I'll have another exciting guest. I also want to remind people you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Again, thanks for listening. Go over to foxnewspodcast.com. You can see other or hear other podcasts that are out there, some really good ones. Will Kane does one every day. Uh, but rate it, subscribe to ours, and uh, we'll be back next week with a very exciting guest. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House.